This is the Powered Up Podcast, show 80, Summer PD Series number 7. Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. going on everyone this is kennerman host of the power to podcast and i am here with my co-hosts mr matt the cough drop rogers and mrs stacy on the road lauer so we are super excited to continue our super our uh, summer pd series with you both in case this is the first time you were listening to the power to podcast typically we record with amazing teachers from across the country like we did with Stacy a long while back, where we learn about their passions, we learn about their experiences, how they interact with students, with their peers, and how they just make education better overall, really through their stories and, and what they do on a day-to-day basis. For this summer, we have brought back many of our former guests, like Stacy, to dive deep into a specific topic, into how we can best uh, grow as professionals and make a better impact on students. So for the purposes of this conversation, my name is Ken Ehrman. I am a former fifth grade teacher, elementary STEM teacher, and I now serve as a secondary instructional coach. So Matt, why don't you say hi to everybody and then you can throw it to Stacy. All right, I will try to keep my coughing to a minimum. My name is Matt Rogers and I teach in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania um, in the Peckway Valley School District. I've been there my entire career started as a um, kindergarten through third grade learning support teacher, went to fourth and fifth grade learning support, and I've been doing fourth grade with my wife actually for the last eight years. So that's a little bit about me. Off to Stacy. All right. Well, my name is Stacy Lawler, and I am Idaho's 2020 Teacher of the Year. Um, I am a middle school teacher, which is different because I was always a junior high teacher, and now we have sixth graders. So now I have to say I'm officially a middle school teacher. Um, I teach up in the panhandle of northern Idaho at the Lakeland School District, and I teach at Timberlake Middle School. Um, I actually did not actually teach this year, so I can't even say that I came right out of teaching because this year my husband and I actually took a sabbatical. Um, He is also a teacher. I teach physical education and health, and he also teaches physical education and health. And we took a road trip. We decided to take the year off, and our our big plan was to go out and spread awareness about mental health um, for our students. And one of the things that I found very quickly is that ended up being more about ourselves and and taking care of ourselves. So um, I'm just ready to get back in the classroom. I I told Ken earlier, I've already started kind of having some of those teacher nightmares about when you have lost control of your class and you don't know how to do things. And I literally, I've been waking up at like six in the morning and I'm like sweating and I'm just like, whew, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's like riding a bike, right? Just got to get back in. So, so Stacey, I, I want to jump into what you said about it ended up being more about taking care of yourself. So we are recording this in the summer. Um, and so Matt and I are in the middle of that precious time that we get as educators where we feel like we can recharge the batteries, connect with family. And it always becomes so difficult to continue to do that when the school year starts. So you had, now I know you were busy. I know your husband, you and your husband were doing a lot working with different schools and things along those lines during your sabbatical. But what did you learn this year that you feel like will or has to carry over when you get back into the craziness of the school year in regards to taking care of ourselves? Well, you know, like I said before, I really started out um, this adventure um, really kind of focusing on my students. And in October, um, the 2020 and the 2021 Teacher of the Year were fortunate enough to be able to go to the White House, and we got to do our Washington Week. And we had um, different people come in and talk to us. And Cindy Martin, who's the Deputy Secretary of Education, 
came and spoke to us one morning and she said something that kind of resonated with me. And I actually wrote it down at the time. It was early. So it was October. We'd only been on the road about a month. So I, I didn't really think about it until much later, but she said, you can't take exquisite care of your students if you don't take exquisite care of yourself. And I think that needs to be the mantra. And I know um, my sister's a mental health counselor. So we talk about taking care of ourselves all the time. And you know, I kind of was visiting with Matt earlier and I was talking about that that term self-care. Like, what does that mean? Because I think self-care and you just think, oh, did I get a manicure? Did I go get a massage? Did I, you know, maybe take a day off of work? And I think it just needs to go so much deeper than that. So for me, really recognizing that and, and granted, I did something extreme as I walked away from um, a career for a year, which means that, you know, we walked away from our home, we walked away from our friends, we walked away from the financial securities of having a job, we walked away from insurance. I mean, it was, it was very extreme, but for us, it was exactly what we needed to do. So I think when I think about like talking about self-care, again, I think it's an overused term, but that idea that my sister was talking to me about, she was talking about like when you go on a flight and they tell you, you know, to put the mask on yourself before you help anybody else. I think we as teachers, we have to do that. And whether it's, um, you don't have to be as extreme as me and walk away for a year and take a break, take a time out and come back rejuvenated. Um, or it could be as simple as saying no to something. Um, instead of being on 10 different committees, you know, do one committee, making sure that you are getting out and you're taking care of yourself as far as like getting some exercise and, and really simple things as well. But I think that that has to be a priority. Um, for myself, I didn't recognize how, how much I was struggling until about halfway through our, our adventure. And honestly, I think it's probably by the time we got to the East Coast, that, you know, like November and we're seeing the fall leaves. And I just, I had a moment, well, many moments when I just stood back and I thought, this really is about me. This is about me taking a break and um, finding the passion for, I mean, we all, we all went into education because we, we have passion for teaching or we have passion for kids. Um, I just needed to be remembering why I actually went into the classroom. So I don't know, doesn't have to be as crazy as taking a sabbatical, but uh, I think it's really important that we really take care of ourselves and not just that overuse, like, oh, I'm taking self-care days. I mean, really look at look at life, your life, and figure out what is it that you need to change. I think I want to jump in, and I will do a classic um, asking for a friend uh, version of this segment. Um, Stacey, you may not know, but my wife, as I mentioned earlier, is a fourth grade teacher with me. And um, we had a, a pre-meeting and I, I left that just kind of thinking about this idea of mental health and taking self-care and what have you. Just the scenario, you know, going into the pandemic, my wife and I decide to go up to New Hampshire, which is about a seven hour drive to one of our, our best friend's house. On arrival, we are walking our bags into the house. Kristen, my wife, comes out and falls and breaks her foot and uh, we spend the entire summer rehabbing her foot she goes back to the school year on a scooter teaching fourth grade and doing the very best she can and to be honest uh, the idea of you know uh, teaching virtually was not a bad option so when that was the case you know, she did the majority of the year in person, just kind of put her head down and figured it out. And then she eventually tore her Achilles uh, this past year, in addition, just from not working. I say all of this because when I was thinking about that self-care and that mental health, Kristen and I would always go to the woods because that's where, you know, nature, that's where we would go to kind of trigger self-help. That is where we would go to, you know, get away. That is where we would go to realign ourselves. And because we've been asking so much of self-help and so much of mental help and health and what we need, just getting into that environment has not been enough for us recently. 
And I realized something that, you know, when you talked about self-help, there's another portion of it, which is, you know, being able to put yourself in all of the circumstances to enjoy it. Like you said, it took you until midway through your trip to finally break down the barriers and accept to where you're at and what you needed from that experience. And I guess one of the challenges that I'd love to talk about on this segment of this is, you know, how do we not glorify self-help and say, you know, I'm doing everything right. I took the de- the time off or, you know, I <laughs> I did retail therapy or I did, you know, I, I treated myself to uh, a massage or whatever the case may be. And that's not cutting through because I feel like a lot of us are feeling that just saying we're doing self-help is not actually leading to self-help. It's not enough. So if we could take some time to just talk about what that looks like further, um, cause I think that would be really helpful. I'll, I'll start with this one. Um, I, I'm a visual learner and so, and I, I may have talked about this the last time that we were together, but in order to kind of explain to my kids, the importance of self-care or mental health, you know, I really looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs because when we were in the pandemic that, you know, that bottom row of physiological needs, safety needs right above that, like our needs were not being met for students. They were not being met as adults. And I think as we have progressed through the last couple of years, there are a lot of us that are still in that very bottom level that we, we don't have our, our safety needs met. And so I think the first step is being authentic and recognizing, um, it would be it's it's too easy to say oh teachers are struggling right now well let's let's try to understand why we're struggling you know i i think that when we can put a visual like um the maslow's hierarchy when we can look at something like that and you can go that makes sense i understand now why i'm not self-actualizing i'm not meet, meeting the top part of the tier because I can't, I, I, my physiological needs, my safety needs are not being met. So I think the first step is just being authentic and just kind of being honest with yourself. You know, for me, like I said, it's about halfway through the school year. I realized that this, this trip was not about my students. It really, it, and, and honestly for my husband as well, um, it was about us. It was about um, finding out who we were and getting, taking care of ourselves in that way. So I think that's the first step is really being authentic about where we're at. And then the second part is, is how to, how, what to do with that, right? <laughs> Ken, <laughs> over to you. <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part. Yeah, I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's one of those things where I think it's important for you to find what those strategies are in terms of what, what makes you feel better, what makes you feel relaxed. The thing that as a coach, the thing that I really encourage the teachers that I work with is to literally just put their devices away when it's a a weekend or when it's a break, shut your computer down and don't turn it on until the night before or later on Sunday night or whatever the case is. Um, because I think teachers, you know, they put their email on their phone, they put their, uh, LMS on their phone, they have it on their iPad or whatever. They stay connected constantly because they feel like they constantly need to respond. And the reality is, is one, that's just not true. And two, you're not giving your, you're not getting ahead by constantly staying involved. If you remove yourself and then you come back to it, you feel refreshed. You you have a different perspective, and and that's just not the case with teaching. That's that's the case with everything. I mean, even this podcast in of itself. Um, over the summer, Matt and I we we lump all of our podcast recordings into a couple of days so that we can continue to push out a product every week, which we're dedicated to doing. But one, it allows us to travel and not really have to coordinate with each other when we're traveling. We find two days that the two of us are not away. And then we find guests that we can, we can record with at that time. And, and it's, you know, I came back, I'm always excited to record, but like, you know, Matt and I were texting yesterday and we were both like amped up to be on today because we haven't done it in almost a month and we have another month off after this. So, you know, I, I think it's important for teachers to understand 
the value in that and, and, and doing it themselves and, and then finding what do they do in between? You know, what is their way of, of finding relaxation? And that's, that's just something I think adults in general struggle with right now. Um, and I, I think it's important for us to model that for kids too. And, you know, homework can be a problem with that. We're constantly asking kids to do things. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a huge problem. I think that, you know, everybody needs to, to make an effort towards realizing that our society is very fast paced and it doesn't mean we have to keep being that way. And so, you know, that's kind of what I wanted to, to turn to next is what do these conversations look like with students in terms of recognizing the importance of mental health, uh, stress, overworking themselves? Matt, go ahead and jump in for a second. Before we transition to the kids thing, I do have an answer, you know, that I'd love for you guys to comment on. And then I think we do really need to shift the gear to kids. And in my, you know, reflection, I, I had an idea of what I wanted to answer as that. And I, and I feel like all of us, what it looks like is any version of validation that we are good people. And that might be social, which was really difficult during the pandemic. It was very difficult to figure out how you could get social validation from other people when you were trying to stay safe and away from each other. It could be hobbies. It could be family time. It could be not family time. You know, family time might be super stressful. Um, but whatever that like reinforcement for me, you know, uh, it's been disc golf. Uh, I, which we do not need to talk in depth about, but it is a, uh, an avenue where my wife loves to hike, which we do very slowly. We can bring our dogs and it's something that I feel like I can do fairly well. Ken, I know you end up getting your fingers in many different projects and having things going on, but really what it comes down to is it makes you value your time with your family more than anything. The, the priorities of your family is that validation you need that says, okay, you know, here's my mission statement. Here's the purpose. This is why it's all worth it when, you know, KJ hits a grand slam in the backyard, right? Like there are those type features that recognize, help us recognize that our problems are minimal. And anytime we can do that, you know, be grateful for what you have, that you're a good person, um, that you're capable of a lot is at least what I view as kind of that extension. Finding a new hobby is tough. It really is. Uh, taking more time away is difficult, but um, it's so easy to say, hey, when you do it, you'll recognize it's worthwhile and, and um, the sacrifice that you take is going to pay off in the end. So I just want to voice that. I don't know if Stacey, you have anything to add to it before we transition to kids. Um, you know, and I think this has to do with teachers, but it also really focuses on students as well is I keep coming back to that word intentional and just being intentional with everything. So being intentional with going out and playing disc golf, going and being intentional about your work, but also recognizing that I'm going to be intentional about my mental health. So I'm going to go make sure I go see a counselor if I feel like I need to. I'm going to make sure that I'm I'm taking care of myself um, and my mental health as well. So um, easier said than done, because I know that mental health still kind of has that stigma around it that um, that people sometimes will look at seeking help as a sign of weakness or knowing that there's a stigma related to that. So my thing, again, is just the big the word is intentional, being intentional with whatever it is you decide to do. Yeah, and 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 to both those points, and Stacy mentioned this earlier about saying no to things. You know, as a as a new teacher, it can be extremely hard to say no to things because you're trying to prove your worth, earn a contract, you know, all those different factors. But um, you know, like you said, Matt, about uh, me being involved with many different projects, I am involved with a lot. But uh, Matt has also watched me walk away from projects that I was involved with because it was going to disalign me from what was most important. That was family time. And so when you have those, when you know your priorities, and I'm not saying my priorities are right. What I'm saying is I've, I've done a lot of reflecting and, and conversations with my wife and knowing what those are. So, so like I said earlier, you know, what do these conversations look like with students? When I was teaching fifth grade, I had 
many times where I would delay the math lesson, the reading lesson, whatever, uh, whatever we were doing, keep them back from lunch or have lunch as a class to talk about, you know, I would say life lessons with Mr. Ehrman and just to talk about these things and talk about things going on in my life or things going on in their life or things going on in society that, you know, I felt they needed to be a part of a conversation with. And so, you know, as a, regardless of what you teach, a homeroom teacher, uh, a content area teacher in secondary, what do these conversations look like with kids? Are, are they explicit? Are they um, implicit? You know, Stacy, how do you think that we should be having the conversations of stress, time management, mental health with our with our students to, to honestly just to be most effective and to, to get them to listen and to think about it? You know, every teacher is just different on how they want to perceive it. I am an open book, and I think I talked about this the last time we were together. I am just really honest. So the way that I deal with these conversations is by just being really authentic about my own struggles and about just where I'm at and things that are going on in my life. Um, my husband is not, he does not teach the same way. He does not connect with his students, but it all comes down to just being authentic and whether you want to, you want to share the struggles that you're having or the things that you notice, or you want to handle it a different manner. Um, I, I think that that is the key is just being authentic and being able to be um, vulnerable a little bit. Um, I think some of the most important and impactful conversations I've ever had with students is when I am not only sharing about myself, but sharing the struggles that my kids have had. Because the thing about, you know, when we start talking about mental health and we talk about depression or anxiety or any other mental health disorder is that people feel isolated. They feel like they're the only ones that are, that are having that issue. So, you know, not oversharing, but, but certainly being authentic and, and, and allowing your students to know that there are other people that have felt the same way. And here's a, you know, giving them strategies to deal with that. But um, depression especially is just so isolating. It just makes you feel like you're the only one in the whole wide world that has ever felt this way. And um, validating kids' feelings um, goes into teachers as well, but just making sure that they feel like they're not alone and that it's okay to not be okay. I know that not it's okay to not be okay phrase is great, gained a lot of traction. And um, I, I, I feel like as you were mentioning, kind of this modeling of vulnerability, being an open book. I've mentioned in a few podcasts that, you know, even as recently as when I started teaching, I didn't feel like there was a cement wall between teacher and students. And that was intentional. There was no acceptance of things like outside life. There was no acceptance of, you know, um, social media or these type things like you were supposed to be almost sterile as a teacher. I show up for my life purpose of being a teacher. I deliver this content. I hope that you are, you know, enjoying this instruction and gaining, but at the end of the day, go and be with your family. And as we've seen, and, and we've all heard of, you know, family members, um, causing challenges at for kids. And so, you know, teachers fill in and provide, you know, care and support and smiles and, you know, um, belief in kids. And through this pandemic, maybe probably before that, but the entire shift in how it's almost students and kids um, joining with teachers to fight all of the challenges outside is so much more of that balance now. And that's an accepted behavior. And I don't mean like, oh, parents uh, fighting against the parents and uh, or the, the students and kids, but, you know, all of the fears, all of the worries, all of the anxieties. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I've mentioned before is we do a morning meeting every single day where the kids share something uh you know there's a topic but they also have an opportunity to share anything personal and i say that if you're going to share a negative you have to share a positive but you know you can share one good one not so good one good one okay one 
good, one anxious, whatever the case may be, but you're allowed to share anything. And so what do we end up doing? We talk as a class how to process through that. And usually that's just me bringing up a minor issue to a major issue in my own classroom and that leading into the comfort zone. Now, what that happens, you know, I'll give a, a short example. My, my great uncle passed away towards the end of the year. And so the way you deliver that is critical. Um, I need to learn that a little bit better. I had kids, you know, crying for the goldfish that passed away because, you know, the sign of death is, you know, they're not able to distinguish. Some people are actually upset because they lost a grandparent too. Um, and, and being more equivalent amount of emotion for, you know, that loss. But at the end of the day, what I found is the opportunity to share emotion and model emotion and how you manage that, especially to my boys, especially to, you know, these kids that are maybe more mature than I wish they were at their age based off the environments they've been in. It all comes down to it being okay as long as you have a game plan of figuring out how you're going to handle that with comfort. And I know I've said this before you to you, Ken, at least, you know, what do I do? I, I'm always lucky. We do homeroom with our morning meeting. I send my kids to special immediately afterwards. Well, that means I never get prep time because all that time is spent, you know, trying to figure out what can I do to support a kid as they come back to say, you know, what you shared with me didn't fall on deaf ears, whether that's chasing down a counselor, going to check with a social worker, calling a parent, you know, any of those features that can make the day a success and continue school being that safe place for them. Can I know that on your end, you know, you, you kind of stopped teaching in the classroom before it was so um, easy to be vulnerable as a teacher, especially as a male. Um, but I know that your relationships were what drove all of the experiences you had. What was that journey like from new teacher? When did you feel comfortable to be yourself completely? And what are some of those safeguards of what you, Stacey, you mentioned as well, like you don't share the complete open book. You might share the topic, but you don't show, share the details. What is that journey like, especially since you haven't taught in the classroom in a few years? I would say, I don't know that I was ever hesitant in terms of being vulnerable and being myself. And that's part of just my personality and, and the way that I connect with, with kids. Um, I think it is important to, I think it is important to have real conversations with kids and let them get to get to know you. But I also think you have to know who you are in terms of how much are you willing to share. And there is a, there is a line, there is a line of appropriateness that you can't cross as a professional. And what I will say is I felt comfortable enough to talk to either more experienced teachers or even my principal about a conversation that I felt was necessary to have with students. And if I didn't know where that line was, I would talk to people more experienced, more important, or just above me, you know, to know, okay, this is the line. This is where the conversation needs to stop. There unfortunately were, and it's just part of life and, and everybody goes through it. There are incidents that happen in your local community or even in your school, whether it's a faculty member passing away or, you know, a, a child battling with cancer or different things. And, and there are times where as a school community, there's conversations that have to happen in every classroom. Um, and so again, knowing where is the line, where sometimes you have to say, I'm not being dishonest with you, but that's a question you have to talk to your parents about. You know, that was, that was a phrase that I used a lot, depending on the conversation as a fifth grade teacher, um, I was in charge of the health talk with all of the boys every year. And so, you know, I would tell them, please, please, please ask me anything that you're wondering, anything that comes to mind. There's no stupid questions. There's no inappropriate questions. You know, there's, if you're wondering it, there's probably six or seven other kids that are wondering the same thing. And a lot of what I would tell them is please don't ask your older brother or your older cousin who's 15 or 16, because they don't know anything when it comes to these topics. They're, they're not men. They don't, they, they want to act like they know, but they don't know. 
Um, and so I had years where there was maybe three questions and I had other years where we did questions for like an hour and a half. Um, because usually once the momentum, momentum started, they felt more comfortable opening up because they saw their peers doing it. But again, there were times where I would say to them, you know, that's a great question. There's a factual answer, but I, as a teacher, I am not allowed to answer that question at this time. And so that's a great, that in my opinion, that's a great way to just toe the line to make sure that you're not put into a situation where you don't want to say anything that you think might be inappropriate, that you know is inappropriate. Um, and, and you can always use that or, you know, that's a question that, you know, you need to ask your parents or, you know, um, that's a question that I can answer privately, those, those different types of things. So I think what's most important is knowing yourself. Um, but I, I think kids need to hear these conversations from the adults that they spend every day with. Um, so, so Stacey, I know as a middle school uh, health teacher, you are involved in conversations like this. So what else can you add to that? This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. You know, honestly, as you're talking, Ken, I am not only thinking about all those awkward conversations that I have with middle school kids, but I was thinking about just the whole idea of social emotional learning and how that has um become a little bit of a hot topic, you know, like one of those conversations that, you know, people just are not truly understanding. So it seems like an easy thing to maybe target um, as far as being negative. Um, I, I guess I have a question for you guys, because I really, I, I'm curious what you've heard from other teachers, because I know for myself, um, when I think about social emotional learning, I am, I'm teaching social emotional learning to all of my students because I'm understanding that there are going to be some of my students who don't have that kind of knowledge or they don't have that kind of support um, at home and trying to to make sure that that you're walking that that line that that's appropriate, obviously. Um, so I guess my question for you guys, I'm kind of bouncing it back to you a little bit, Ken, but what have you guys heard um, from other teachers or what are your thoughts on when you are talking about social emotional learning, trying to make it so parents are understanding um, that we are really truly just trying to do what's best for kids because we are teaching all students. Um, we're not just teaching the students who are in crisis. What are your thoughts? You want to go first? You want me to go, Matt? I, I, I'll, I'll take it. You know, when, when talking about social emotional and how you manage that, that, you know, spectrum of sensitive topics and, and, and dealing with crisis and, and all the, the, the details that go into um, just the challenges of kids. And I like when, Ken, I don't know if you had this, but like crisis um, uh, response, like identifying almost the cue of how serious the crisis is um, and responding to that most important crisis first, even if it came in last, you know, if it is a big deal, then that's something you're coming in last. Sometimes as a classroom teacher recently, it feels like every kid's bringing almost a crisis every day because they don't understand what's going on in life. You know, not to, to go into politics because that's not where we need to go, but even like the morning that the Ukraine-Russia conflict came out this year, it was filled with such fear because kids didn't know in an already insecure time, how should they respond? How does it affect us? You know, um, I remember going way back to, you know, September 11th and and what my teachers did in responses to crisis, all of those type of things that like we are so filled with crisis all the time in different variations that I, I struggle to say, you know, outright, how do we manage that? And so my message to parents and to kids is very universal, which is just... I'm doing whatever it is that fosters creativity, care, and support that I feel will lead to good quality learning opportunities. And an 
honest conversation in front of parents allows them to get on board with that. Usually I've never had anyone push back and say, Hey, I'm trying to navigate a tough topic with your help, but you know, your kid showed up to school and we were concerned the, the serious, you know, what is the school district statement? I don't touch that whatsoever. You know, I don't even talk about it. I don't bring it up. I don't, there's no place I'll let that be the official word. And, you know, parents can go onto social media or call the school district or whatever the case may be. All I really care about when I'm having those conversations is, you know, making sure that we can calm ourselves of that anxiety, of that stress, recognize that we're in a safe space. And whenever we can make that transition, it may be a five minute long conversation. It may be a half morning conversation. But whatever that looks like, then translates into, all right, let's get back to work as soon as possible and almost creating this normalcy from that point, um, which often, you know, the follow up is, I do send a message home to parents saying we did acknowledge this, we talked about it, if they have follow up questions, if you have questions about what we talked about. Usually, as you know, Ken, your your growth and development conversation style the parents are pretty happy that you covered that conversation. They're not going to be questioning what you brought up. It's like, oh, you know, you took birds and the bees light off my back, uh, that type thing. Um, it, it's been covered. So hopefully it's helpful for parents more so than inappropriate or concerning to them. Yeah, I think social emotional learning is, <clears throat> like you said, Stacey, it's, it is for everybody and it's important to be involved in the classroom. And I think when schools and school districts, um, but I would say more so schools have systems in place or they have a, they have a school-wide commitment towards it, it makes it a lot easier. So, you know, in my elementary school where I taught fifth grade, we had a proud acronym that showcase different qualities that we wanted the students to work towards being proactive, raising the bar, these different types of things where it gave us common vocabulary that we could use throughout the day, throughout the, the school year. I could use it with kids that were not in my classroom when I was having conversations on the recess yard in the cafeteria. And so it makes it a lot more natural because so often as teachers, I feel like when a a program is put into place and not, and I'm not saying programs are bad, but it feels like one more thing. And so I think it's really important for administrators and for teachers on the committee and, you know, spearheading it to think about how is this ingrained into the, the daily instruction and the daily interactions with kids, um, whether it be reward systems, uh, vocabulary, these different types of things, but really involving the entire teacher community in, in building those systems, it makes it a lot more possible um, and not just delivering single lessons. Can you, as a school, can you all take an hour to talk about a specific topic? Absolutely. But that's, that's not going to create sustainable change, I don't think. You know, it's about systems being put into place where teachers feel like they can ingrain it into their daily conversation. So that common vocabulary, I think, is is a really important piece for us to be able to to uh, really systematically and effectively talk about social emotional learning in in addition to the way we structure our lessons. You know, Matt, you talked about creativity and collaboration. If you are increasing the amount of collaboration that takes place in your classroom, you are increasing, in my opinion, you're increasing the amount of social emotional learning because that's a huge piece in that being successful. So, you know, I think it's a great question, Stacy. You know in terms of, of what we can do in the classroom to make it more prevalent and, and more common, um, more of a commonplace in our classroom. So as far as this topic, as a teacher, if I am comfortable having conversation with conversations with students, or if I'm not, that's something that I can personally re reflect on and work on. There's nothing that I don't think the three of us can say here in terms of this is the the step-by-step -step process to be more comfortable, you know, talking with students, but what are resources out there? What are, what are things that we can do so that we, we feel we can be more prepared in, in starting to involve social emotional learning into our classroom? 
I'll, I'll go. <laughs> go ahead, please. You know, um, I, I think there, I mean, there's obviously there's great programs out there. And I know, Ken, you kind of talked about like just adding one more program, but I know that there are great resources out there for teachers to start to feel more comfortable. Um, I know anytime that, especially with me, when I talk about social emotional learning, I really kind of jump into the mental health aspect and suicide prevention. Um, you know, there's a lot of different programs out there that just give voice to, to teachers to know how to handle these types of crises, um, uh, suicidal ideation, how to have that conversation with somebody who's struggling. So I, I just, and, and I, I know you guys probably see this as well. Um, and, you know, in the last two years, I, I, I got some data. Um, I went to a conference um, this, this year and it said, you know, 120%, let me see, 120% increase in crisis, um, in crisis lines. So they had 120% more people trying to go through and get through on the crisis lines, but there was a 170% increase in suicide mortality. So obviously we are at a critical point in, um, in our society. Um, people are more willing to have these conversations and there are great resources. So making sure that we have an opportunity to educate ourselves because anytime that you are faced with a crisis, um, and maybe it's just a little crisis, maybe it's not a suicidal ideation type of crisis, but if you're not prepared, if you've not educated yourself, um, it feels overwhelming. So I think the big thing with schools and with school districts is just making sure that you provide training, that you provide um, opportunities for teachers to feel secure and to feel confident when dealing with this type of stuff, because, um, uh, the first time I ever had to deal with, you know, it was my son who was suicidal. And I, I remember thinking how awful that was that I didn't know what to say. Um, I don't have the same mentality now. It's still awful. And it's still you are um, your heart races and you are hoping that you're saying the right things and all those things that are going through your mind. But I'm much more secure now, um, you know, seven years later than I was um, when my son was a freshman in college. So I think education and then making sure that you stay on top of your training, making sure that you are going out there and that you're putting yourself in a position so you can feel more comfortable. I guess jumping on with the resources wise, I feel like your PLN, your personal learning network that you build is something that you can lean into so much more. And I don't know about you, Stacy, or even Ken. I feel like I saw more people being vulnerable in, you know, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook than I'd ever seen from my teaching friends on there. And it's so funny because they talk about social media, media being an evil place. You know, I have a, a Twitter account for my sports and, you know, my current events, I see negative, toxic behavior in there. And then I have a Twitter account for, you know, my teaching and speaking and, you know, other engagements related to education. And there's so little toxicity in that environment that I find is really refreshing. And it's interesting that they're all in the same app. They're all in the same ecosystem and it's all corrugated or, or I guess um, kind of set up to, to funnel what you want or need to see. And I guess the main thing that I would say is when you're looking for resources, there are people that are looking for resources as well. And that might be checking with your neighbor. That may be checking with the teacher next door. That may be checking with uh, someone you went to college or took a grad class with. But if you just float a question out there in some sort of forum, it's incredible the response that people find and jump on when they feel it'll make a difference. Hey, I'm going through a hard time. We've, we've seen it. Raising money for uh, you know challenging life experiences. People rally behind that because that's also that validation. I feel better about myself because I was able to contribute and give back. Those type things, I think you can leverage and it's okay to be vulnerable there too, but you also have to, you know, 
receive and give back and and continue to have that conversation, um, obviously. But um, that's just another thought of like, I know it's not formal, you know, curriculum, but I struggle to believe that their social emotional curriculum can, as you said, here's the by the book, how you go through the process. It's not it's not structured in that way. Um, and I feel like <coughs> Stacy, I guess my, my last question that I have for you really is you had a major life event with your son that really triggered your intense care for social emotional learning. And not that it wasn't a priority, but as you were mentioning, you didn't feel as prepared as you wish you were walking into that environment and that it has driven us to be so much more focused on kids being kids well-being being more important than what they learn. I guess the message that I would love for you to leave with us is how do I touch base with that being important to me if I haven't had, you know, this life epiphany that kind of created that drive, you know, for example, you know, when you have an illness, we have friends with different, you know, autoimmune illnesses, their life, if they've healed from it or coped with it, their life becomes, how do I help other people that have gone through it? You've had that experience. Um, how do you feel like you can draw or support people to be as um, in tune or find as much value with social and emotional learning beyond, oh, the kids need this support? You know, Matt, that, that is just a great question. Um, when, when I think about this and I, I think about um, mental health, um, there is, I, I guess I would challenge anyone out there if they look in their circle, there's somebody that's struggling. I, I just, I, I, I believe that it is that, that important um, and it's that prevalent in our society right now that if you looked hard enough, you are going to find someone in your, in your circle, in your world that has struggled and then really make an effort to get to know them, be able to help them dive into their shoes a little bit. Because I really think that, you know, as I looked at myself before Keegan struggled, um, I was sympathetic. I was empathetic. I thought I knew a lot about it, but it wasn't until I dove right into a crisis mode that I was able to kind of see things a little more clearly. So I guess my challenge for everybody is take a second to look around you because the chances are that there's somebody out there that is struggling and um, it's those those types of um, situations where you can really connect with somebody that um, I think has the greatest impact, not only in yourself, but on, but on other people. So I think being willing to open up your eyes and really look around you, because um, there's a lot of people out there that are in crisis and maybe not suicidal ideation crisis. Maybe they're just struggling with some anxiety or they have um, something else going on. So I guess for me, I think challenge yourself by looking around you because chances are you're going to find somebody who's going to need some help. Absolutely. So on that note, Stacey, if uh, our listeners want to connect with you to learn more about this, learn more about your experiences and, and lean on you as a colleague like Matt recommend doing in your PLM, what is the best way for audience to connect with you? Um, well, let's see. I, I've got my email, my school email. Um, I also, but I also have my Instagram, um, which is Stacy underscore Lawler. Um, I also am on Facebook. Um, I, my husband and I, I think I told you guys about this, but we did um, a YouTube page this last year. It was Stacy and Sean's Excellent Adventure, um, which really, honestly, not only was just about all the cool places that we went, but I also kind of dove into. Um, some of the challenges that we found um, about surrounding mental health. So, and being an advocate um, with like my little rocks, I think I told you guys about before, my little Idaho love rocks. I put these around the entire country. Um, I actually had somebody, cause on the back, I put my little hashtags. Um, somebody actually found one of my rocks and reached out to me um, on my Instagram account. So um, is that what you mean? Or <laughs> what That's else awesome. did you want me to say? Okay. 
That's awesome. No, that's, that's perfect. perfect. So we'll we'll link up to all those in our show notes page, which can be found at poweredu.up.com slash show 80. So Stacey, thank you so much for coming back with us. I think, you know, it's just, this is an example of how it's important just to take the time to have these conversations with yourself, with family members, with your colleagues and with your students, you know, around these topics. So I think it was important for us to do that today as well. So before we close down here, um, I just want to say for anyone who is a dedicated listener and more so viewer of the Power to Podcast, you'll notice my my new background. Uh, we did move three days ago. Um, and so if I sound a little echoey, it's because I'm still finding the proper location in my house to record uh, b- before uh, I start to uh, finish my basement and build myself a little little office nook down there. So uh, as you continue to watch the next few episodes, I'm sure my background is going to be frequently changing. Luckily, the kids are not in the house today, so I can uh, really explore around and, and see what works best. But um, thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for listening. If you have not already, please subscribe to our podcast, whether that be on YouTube or wherever you're listening. Uh, so we will we have a couple more episodes of the Summer PD series, and then we'll jump right back into um, our bread and butter where we talk to amazing educators and meet amazing people like we met you, Stacy, a while ago. So I wish you best of luck as you jump back into the classroom. Um, I know you'll get those those first day jitters, but I think you'll be super happy to be back with those kids. And they are so lucky to have you back in your school and, and creating uh, continuing to make the great impact like you have. So, Mr. Rogers, why don't you uh, shut us on down here today? All right. I echo everything Ken said. Including and, my echo? Um, wish you. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's pun intended, I guess. Um, but I wish you a, a great school year that's filled with, you know, many smiles and, um, happy tears. Uh, I know it's a, it's a tough position and, um, but they're, they're lucky to have you back. So with all, all that being said, as we power down this episode, you've left us feeling powered up. We will talk to you next time. Stay well, take time for yourself, whatever that looks like, validate that you're a good person. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators who are making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.